the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Friday, January 9, 2024. I am Seth Leibson. Mr. Bill is here. David Dahl is here. Miss Teresa is here. 602-508-0960. This may take two segments. This is a biggie. Are we supposed to wait for a revolution here before any action can take place to stop or prevent it? Take the question as a hypothetical, but take it seriously because there are revolutionaries here that take it seriously. The question arises with an event sponsored by a group called the Socialist Revolution at ASU to take place this weekend. The website calls itself the Lenin School and comes with a picture of Vladimir Lenin. A poster comes with Lenin pointing to you or at you asking, are you a communist? It falls on the 100th anniversary of Lenin's death to commemorate that, to revivify his ideas and work. Thank you to State Representative Austin Smith for taking this up and taking this on. A good man. Here's what we have at ASU. It's a day-long teach-in for socialist communist revolution at a public school funded, paid for by you, to teach just that. How did we get here? It is the toleration of such speech that has brought us here, a relativistic view of the First Amendment that has been smartly addressed by one Tony Woodleaf in the Wall Street Journal some years ago when he wrote the following. Free speech absolutism has been a guiding light for universities for many decades, but in imagining we could cultivate thoughtful citizens by exposing them to a bazaar of competing ideas and ideologies, we ironically encouraged the decline of truth-seeking itself. As the political theorist Wilmore Kendall predicted in the 1950s, a community that treats every idea as ultimately refutable will eventually conclude that no real truth exists. And once that happens, he reasoned, a formerly open society will overnight become the most intolerant of possible societies and above all, one in which the pursuit of truth can only come to a halt. When no dogma can finally be put to rest comes easier, almost obligatory, to do whatever we like. Ideas are evaluated not based on their reasonableness, reasonableness or coherence, but by how much they tickle the ears of the in-crowd. Harder truths become offensive. The only intolerable citizen in such a regime is the one whose belief in truth compels him to attack beliefs he believes to be false, even if, he attacks, if, even if his attacks disturb the equanimity of the establishment. His criticism becomes too hurtful, even a form of violence. For the safety of the community, he must be cast out. I've long believed the universal view of wide-open or absolutist First Amendment interpretation has been a problem, as we've discussed before. The problem is we have forgotten the understanding of the purpose of the First Amendment, and this, I think, has been forgotten by almost everyone on the Supreme Court, with the exception of Samuel Alito. He gets it. That's why he was one of the lone—he was the lone dissent 
saying the Westboro Baptist Church protesters did not have a right to protest outside and near the funerals of fallen veterans and soldiers in 2011, yelling at the surviving families. As Professor Harry Jaffa reminds, civil liberties are liberties for and of men in civil society. Or, as our Constitution puts it squarely in Article 4, Section 4, the United States shall guarantee to every state in the Union a republican form of government. Don't forget that. This is key. Our country is not. Our founding was not neutral on what kind of government we may have. This is why Professor Walter Burns is right and someone like Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes is wrong. Holmes wrote in a case called Gitlow, Quote, eloquence may set fire to reason, but if in the long run the beliefs expressed in proletarian dictatorship are destined to be accepted by the dominant forces of the community, the only meaning of free speech is that they should be given their chance and have their way, close quote. Well, is that what the founders intended? A constitution yielding to proletarian dictatorship and a country where all men are not equal? Of course not. And that's why I recited Article 4, Section 4. Abraham Lincoln put it thusly in his 1861 message to Congress, Must a government of necessity be too strong for the liberties of its own people or too weak to maintain its own existence? The asking is the answering. So the point of the First Amendment, like the whole point of the Constitution, must ask, mustn't it? What is the point of free peoples and a free government? As Professor Jaffa put it, free government rusts upon the consent or opinion of the governed. Law is an expression of opinion, and the opinion upon which the law rests is more fundamental than the law itself. The men who founded our system of government were not moral or political relativists. Now, I also would ask, what is the general opinion in this country on which our law rests? It is not solid, is it? Here's the main point from Jaffa. Free speech is a priceless and indispensable attribute of a free society because it is a necessary means for deliberating upon public policy. But this deliberation does not extend to everything. Above all, it does not extend to the question of whether the community shall exchange its freedom for slavery. Certain ends are fixed, and their fixity is the condition of mutability in other respects. The government may deliberate on how to secure the rights to life and to liberty of all. It may not deliberate on whether they shall be secured. Certain proposals can never be entertained by a civilized community. So this is why I, and really I think only handfuls of us, object when someone says, well, think Skokie, think Illinois, think Charlottesville, or any communist rally, especially one endowed, with pub, one endowed with public funds. They object when I object when someone says, of course the Nazis or the KKK or David Duke or the communists have a right to march. I object to that. Do they have an absolutist right to march? George Will put it this way in summarizing his position on the matter. When liberals quote Oliver Wendell Holmes's maxim that the best test of truth is the power of the thought to get, accept, to get itself accepted in the marketplace of ideas, think about what that means. It means that liberalism is a philosophy that yields 
the essential task of philosophy, distinguishing truth from error, to the market, which measures preferences and popularity, but not truth. Liberals used to say all ideas have an equal right to compete in the market. Leftists now say our ideas do not. But the right to compete implies something, doesn't it? It implies the right to win. So the logic of liberalism was that it was better to be ruled by Nazis or communists than to restrict them. The logic of the left today is very clearly that. Liberals seem to believe that all speech, any clash between any ideas, necessarily contributes to the political ends of the First Amendment. But they must believe that the amendment was not intended to promote particular political ends if they think that, that there is no connection between the rationale for free speech and the particular purposes of Republican government. A wiser theory is Walter Burns's, who argues that the First Amendment is part of a political document. There are political purposes for protecting speech, and some speech is incompatible with those purposes. The purpose of the Constitution is to establish a government faithful to the self-evident truths of the Declaration of Independence. So this, this distinction between liberty and license, between permissible and prescribed speech, is implicit in the Constitution's purposes. Hence, restraint can be based on the substance as well as the time, place, and manner of speech. But it is bizarre to say that the Constitution, a document designed to promote particular political ends, asserts the equality of ideas. There is no such thing as an amoral Constitution, neutral regarding all possible political outcomes. That would be no Constitution at all. Now, of course, restricting speech has its own problems. It can become problematic. The quest for justice, the quest for law and order always does. It's inherent in that very quest. So when we come back, I'd like to talk to you just about that problematic issue of restricting speech. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, coming to you live from the 960 Patriot Broadcast Studio, which is brought to you by the veteran-owned Midas Gold Group, your trusted source for precious metals. Our phone number is 602-508-0960. I was speaking about interpretations of the free speech clause of the First Amendment and the difficulty inherent in making the case for restricting any kind of speech. Robert Jackson, Supreme Court Justice Robert Jackson, put it that the choice is not between order and liberty here. It is between liberty with order and anarchy without either. He said there is danger that if we do not temper doctrinaire logics with a little practical wisdom, it will convert the Constitutional Bill of Rights into a suicide pact. Now, one is forced, perhaps, to ask about violent movements in this country. Why is there a violent Antifa movement in the first place? Why were there violent riots in 2020? Who told these young militants that fascism and systemic racism, a 
a Marxist concept, was here in America and needed fighting. Well, of course, the intellectual left and the professoriate and so many other elected leaders. Was it not Nancy Pelosi who called federal agents stormtroopers when they tried to quell riots in Portland, Oregon? That's a Nazi reference. Was it not Nancy Pelosi who said Republicans were offering her a Sophie's choice when it came to nothing more than a funding bill? That's a Nazi reference. I could move down the ladder to other members of the Democratic Party, but why bother when you get it from the former Speaker of the House of Representatives when she was Speaker of the House of Representatives? Which last time I checked had not been dissolved any more than Ilan Omar's speech had been muzzled or bridled as she stood at the foot of the steps of the House of Representatives calling President Trump a tyrant and then would continue to do so. The problem, it turns out, is not necessarily speech, but unlearned speech. The problem is not necessarily political philosophy and history, but people misunderstanding and not understanding and misusing political philosophy and history. Because we forgot something, just because someone says something, does not make it true, but we did forget something, didn't we? Once you make a people ignorant, they will believe almost anything. And that is not a new trick of the left. It is perhaps their oldest strategy, which is why they will no doubt abstain from and bury any teaching, any teaching in honor of Lenin that includes the body count committed in his name, 100 million strong or more taking place to commemorate and revivify his life and death this weekend at our public university, meaning paid for by you. We need to get right about a few things around here. Some of those things are our Constitution and its principles. Some of those things are the toxicity and death toll of antipodal philosophies that resent and hate the West, like Leninism. And some of these things are asking just what the heck is being taught at ASU. Do you think, by the way, there would be a front-page story, a second-page story, a third-page story, or any story whatsoever in the Arizona Republic tomorrow if they had a day to teach Hitler and used posters of Hitler's face to commemorate the anniversary of his death in hopes of revivifying him and his philosophy? What page of the paper do you think that would be on? Do you think it would be allowed? The answer is page one and no. Why Lenin? Why Lenin? The answer is both should be verboten. I'm Seth, as I say, 602-508-0960. Young David, you're our most recent college graduate around these parts. Uh-oh. Did, yes. Yeah. Did you have Leninist clubs where you went to school? Um, I had—okay. Because I did college at a couple of different places. Yes, so sir. the Christian institution that I went to did not. They didn't really have political clubs in general. Uh-huh. 
it was more like student government, things like that, much more uh, soft-handed organizations. However, when I was at uh, GCU, there was, and still is, a very strong TPUSA chapter there. I was involved in that one. There was more as an antithetical organization that was built up purely out of spite, hatred, and opposition to TPUSA, a leftist student organization yeah. kind of, you know... Just, Did it call itself Marxist? No, or? they were not. Uh-huh. I think I think they were just disorganized, hateful people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think they had a, uh, you know, charter or anything like that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, that's another problem is we don't understand valence very well. Not 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 a problem that you articulated, but a problem that naturally does arise in a lot of insta- ins- instances. Someone will say, "Well, because there's a TPUSA chapter, there can also be a Lenin or communist or socialist revolution chapter." That is not an equivalent. Those are not equivalents. <laughs> TPUSA, whether you agree with their policy prescriptions or not, supports the fundamental essence of a Republican form of government, supports constitutionalism, and then wants to engage in a debate about what the best ways to effectuate policies under that rubric are, whether it has to do with taxes or immigration law or international and foreign relations and war policy, all within the rubric of constitutional norms and normatives, normative absolutes that are provided for by the First Amendment. Marxism, Maoism, Leninism, they want none of that. They want an entirely different ideology running this country. They want a, to use the phrase, dictatorship of the proletariat. Students for Socialism at ASU, go to their Twitter account. They tell you what they want. Students for Socialism at Arizona State University is a socialist revolutionary Marxist club. Our mission is to end capitalism and fight for socialism. I haven't looked at the TPUSA site, but I'll bet you it's about fighting to keep, you know, to keep America under a constitutional order. These are not polar opposites. One is within the realm of debatable, respectable, protected, democratic argument And one should be so far removed from it, they should be laughed off campus. Whatever happened to that America? (laughs) It just sounds so peaceful, doesn't it? Welcome back to the Seth Leaps and Show. People frolicking on hills, drinking Coca-Cola and having picnics. I know. Picnics and... Getting married. Bumblebees and birds... Twittering around. Do you know the word Twitterpated? Um, no. Have you ever heard me use it? I've used it. Mr. Bill, did you've heard something to do with what? Twix? Have you heard me use the word Twitterpated before? How have you both never heard me use the word Twitterpated? You guys are revising history in real time. I use it all the time. It's a word. Uh, oh yeah. You used a lot of words. It was invented, I recently learned. Invented, okay. By Walt Disney in the movie Bambi. Oh, is this our, is this our, what did you learn this week? It could be. It could be. Seth learned that Twitter oh, you wanna was do, invented Oh, you want to do, you want to do what did you learn this week? Then? I got, I got lots of good stuff. You do? All right, Mr. Bill. 
better better have better you better come to the table only if mr bill wants to he's giving me an impassive look of oh no he's (laughs) oh no i'm good (laughs) what do you got for me what'd you learn this week oh are you are you sure you want to know yes are you sure you want to know yes happy days premiered 50 years ago this week arthur fonzarelli the fonz is a republican did you know that I'll tell you something. I'm not surprised by it. Did you know that Arthur Fonzarelli is a Republican? I'm not surprised. How come Fonzie's speaking for Ike? Why not? Fonzie's got more friends than Ike does. Hey, he won a war for you, didn't he? Hey! Hey! Now listen, if Ike loses, Fonz is going to be mad. But they, I like Ike. My bike likes Ike. You hear that? He likes Ike. His yeah. bike likes Ike. Yeah. And if Ike loses, guy. he's going to be mad. <laughs> that is kind of interesting that that came out in the 1970s. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. Early 70s. Yeah. So that's what you learned? I learned that, well, I learned that uh, Arthur Fonzarelli was an Ike supporter, but more than that, 50 years ago this week, Happy Days was released. Oh, it was? Yeah, that's what I started this off with. I, I guess I was just uninterested in the whole point. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I, guess, I, I guess it was just not a compelling thing. Bill was paying attention, wasn't he? Richie's older brother is still upstairs after the pilot. He never was seen again. So he's still up there 50 years later. <laughs> you know who's a real Republican is Scott Bayo, Chachi. Yeah. He's in real life a Republican. Yeah, he is. I don't know if Henry Winkler is or not. I don't know. He's supposedly one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. I've we'd, heard that. We'd sure take him on our team then. Do you want to share anything that you've learned that might keep my attention? Uh, fun fact, I can rig the door here like the Fonz <laughs> with the jukebox. This I'm the not, only one. This is, this is not learning. This is not learning. Learning is something like a word, yeah. culture, history. I gave you culture. I gave you history. Yeah. What more do you need? You I, I gave you the opposite of learning, didn't I? Yeah. What did Nicky learn anything. say? <laughs> yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> It's America. You don't have to help anybody. Okay. Thank you, Mr. Bill. Um, You can show yourself out. I'll show myself out. Yeah. This did not go well. (laughs) I'll I'll tell you what's not going well. The prosecution by Fannie Willis against Donald Trump in Georgia is not going well. Ed Morrissey, who was on with us a week ago, has a piece at Hot Air. Woman scorned strikes back. My husband paid Fanny's way, and I have the bank records to prove it. In retrospect, Ed writes, perhaps Fanny Willis should have kept her mouth shut. Yesterday, the embattled Fulton County DA filed a motion in the Wade versus Wade divorce action asking to quash a subpoena for her testimony. Rather than just argue that her testimony would be irrelevant in a case where both spouses agree that the marriage was irretrievably broken, which is certainly an arguable position, Willis accused Jocelyn Wade of obstruction of her prosecution of Donald Trump. And then Willis went one step further in accusing Mrs. Wade of infidelity as the cause of their divorce. Big mistake. Big mistake. And when I say big, I mean monumental. And I'll tell you why when we come right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. David, you were being too humble. When I asked you what you learned this week, you gave me PILF. Uh-huh. You gave me nothingness. 
But on the break, you told me something that taught me something. I've taught you something. Yeah. Yes. You were talking to me about the genetic fallacy, which I I was unfamiliar with. I did not know what that was. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of those... One of those rules of logic. You want to explain it so that we can all have the benefit? Oh, goodness. Do I have to? It's the act of rejecting <laughs> or accepting an argument on the basis of its origin rather than its content. Yeah. So it's the dismissal of anything of merit based on where it came from. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. I made up for it. Yeah. You did. Are you doing anything this week? But weekend? you did it off air. Yeah, I've got a big run with my friend, with some friend, with uh, some friends tomorrow and... Can we can we go can we go watch and cheer you on and throw things at you and no. no no oh my goodness I was talking about Fannie Willis, the district attorney going after Donald Trump in Fulton County, Georgia, and she's obviously, as many know, been accused of hiring her paramour, who doesn't have much experience in these kinds of cases, on the public dime to prosecute Donald Trump. Her paramour is going through his own divorce. And she was subpoenaed. And she didn't try to quash the subpoena as most normal people would do. She tried to take it an extra step further to side with her paramour in the case. So... The soon-to-be ex-wife of Fannie Willis's boyfriend, I guess is the best word for it, filed. Bank records show that special prosecutor Nathan Wade, Fannie Willis's boyfriend, the paramour, purchased airline tickets in his and Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis's name for trips to San Francisco and Miami according to court motions filed today. The filing was made on behalf of Jocelyn Wade in her divorce case with Nathan Wade in Cobb County Superior Court. Credit card statements in the filing appear to bolster allegations of a romantic relationship between Nathan Wade and Fannie Willis. The trips took place in 2022 and 2023 after Willis had hired Wade as special prosecutor in the probe of election subversion by Donald Trump and his allies. Ed Morrissey writes, Mrs. Wade's attorneys actually produced the records, eliminating all doubt that the special prosecutor Willis hired had provided her financial benefit from the relationship. Jocelyn Wade's attorneys attached to the filing records from Nathan Wade's Capital One bank account. It showed that he purchased $817.80 tickets for himself and Willis on April 25, 2023, to fly to San Francisco. Records show subsequent purchases at the Doubletree Hotel in Napa Valley. There were also purchases of $477.21 plane tickets in both their names to Miami. Clara Bowman, who is believed to be Wade's mother, accompanied them, records showed. Accompanying purchases from Royal Caribbean Cruises totaled more than $2,600. The day after booking flights to Miami and the Royal Caribbean Cruise, Wade spent approximately $3,800 with Vacation Express, a company that offers vacation packages and tours The records show CNN also picked up on the story today, as the Atlanta Journal-Constitution did. CNN includes the rebuttal to Willis's claim that Mrs. Wade intends to obstruct her RICO prosecution. That's nonsense. Mrs. Wade's attorneys state 
in the filing that they want that what they want is a clear picture of Nathan Wade's finances and what he's done with them rather than support his spouse. This, you know, these holier than thou people going after Donald Trump for his lower standards of ethics as they see them come with such such worse hands such worse hands i got to um i got to tell you what peggy noonan writes today um in the wall street journal she is writing about donald trump's iowa victory and the and the and the race going forward listen to this meanwhile three things cause unique disquiet among the non trump supporting majority in america especially after iowa now how do you get away with that sentence the non-Trump-supporting majority in America. How do you get to that sentence? Don't you think you have to kind of look at the polls to get to a sentence like that? Do the majority in America support Trump or don't they? Well, he's up six points in the RCP average against Joe Biden. It's Trump 53 to Biden 47. How do you get to that? How do you get to say these things? I just don't understand it. I don't understand that at all. Then she writes in the next sentence, one is that in 2016, Trump supporters didn't know precisely what they were getting. Now they do. Eight years ago, it was a very American thing to do, giving the outsider a chance. You never know in life. People grow in office. The presidency softens rough edges. That didn't happen. They know what they're electing now. And what is it they're electing now? They're electing a man the left hates. They are electing a man who had immigration under control. They are electing a man who had Iran contained. They are electing a man who forged Mideast peace. They are electing a man who gave America energy independence, which at least for 20 years had been a desiderata, if not 40 years. They are electing a man who saw unprecedented unemployment and economic growth, particularly in minority communities. Yes, they do know that, Miss Noonan. They know what they're electing now. Then she writes, When Mr. Trump first came in in 2017, he didn't know a president's true and legitimate powers. He wasn't interested in history, wasn't up nights reading Robert Caro. Is that important? Is that important? You know, do you guys know who Robert Caro is? He's a biographer of Lyndon Johnson. Is that is that really what Peggy Newman thinks the president should be up at night doing? I mean, I like intellectual curiosity, and I would like, you know, political leaders to have some 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 kind of background, but in in, in intellectual and historical pursuits, sure. But wouldn't you be laughed at? I'm looking at you, David, and I'm looking at you, Mr. Bill. Wouldn't you be laughed at if you went into any room of any group of people you know and they said, well, I know you like Trump, and you would naturally say, yeah, there are things I don't like. I'm sure you would say that. We all have. And then they would say, like what? How far down the list would be he wasn't up nights reading Robert Caro? Would that sentence even occur to you? What planet is she living on? What America is she writing for? Who does she think she's representing here? 
I don't even bet you half the people who read her column, which is in, you know, probably a, a fairly educated class, I don't even bet half the people reading her column know who Robert Caro is. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, portions of which are brought to you by our dear friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a great investment that really invests a lot of flexibility and power with you. You, of course, get a monthly statement with no surprises, but you can have total peace of mind as well in that there's no attack on principle if you ever need your money back. There are absolutely no fees, and you can turn your income on or off, compound it, whatever you like. This is a circuit secure and collateralized portfolio where you can earn up to a 10.25% fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Fed. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com, or call 888-YREFI-24, 888-YREFI-24. We'll have Rabbi Alush joining us, and then George Kaloff. I want to talk to George, political analyst. I want to talk to George about You know, the pet peeve I have in politics is wasted money, wasted dreams, Um, candidacies that need to know that they're not going to go anywhere. There are some candidacies that should never get off the ground. You know, if you're Asa Hutchinson, for example, that should never get off the ground. If you're Doug Burgum, that should never get off the ground. Um. There are other candidacies that say, well, yeah, well, let's give it a shot and, you know, I think we've got something different and maybe we can gain some traction. And it's hard to resent that in a free country and where Baskin-Robbins offers 31 flavors for a reason. But then take the measure. If no one's buying the flavor, pack it in. And Quit wasting people's money and time, all the while hurting your own party with the derogations against your fellow candidates who have a real shot at winning and improving this country. Because it, at the end of the day, really is about improving this country, isn't it? Isn't that why you're in politics in the first place? To do something for the country? It's not an ego trip, and it shouldn't be a debit card, and it shouldn't be a waste of money. There are a lot of great causes out there that people should be able to give their money to. And investing in will-o'-the-wisps, it just ain't one of them. And I hate how they play on these emotions and false expectations and lies that they think we're dumb enough to believe. That's what I hate the most. Because at the end of the day, you know what? We're not dumb. And I hate politicians that think we are. You know, I hate journalists and elites that think we are too. But they shouldn't be politicians in our party that do it as well. We'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.